0: All right, um, so I, I started a series a couple weeks ago uh, called deconstruction, and I want to do the uh, the second part of that this morning. Uh, but at the end of service, uh, we're going to pray for people uh, who are sick. They need a healing. They need a miracle. They need a touch from the Lord in some way. So I'm going to get. Part of the altar. Then we're going to shift, and then we're going to pray for people and believe God to touch your life, your heart, your body. At the end, we're going to do some special prayer for Don Hurt. He just needs a touch from the Lord. So, just want you to know at the very end, if you if you need special prayer, we're going to offer that at the end of the service. So, just wanted to uh, mention that to you. So, yeah, I started a new series a few weeks ago called Deconstruction, uh, Reject, Reevaluate, and Restore. Uh, now, some may, if you're kind of new to the series, some some of you may be familiar with the term deconstruction. Others may not be familiar with the word or the or the, or the meaning of that. So, deconstruction is the process of internal questioning and reevaluating beliefs and faith. Now I see this happening a lot in young adults, 35 years of age and younger, where they're just kind of asking questions, and you know maybe some things they've been taught uh, in the in the church, and uh, some have stepped away walked away from the church. And many times the deconstruction process is public. They do it on social media. They do it very publicly. And a couple weeks ago, I played you the video from Sarah Martin and just played a couple of moments of, of her deconstruction as well. So, uh, so this is kind of, you know, we're, we're seeing this more and more, uh, you know, in our society. So that's really why i wanted to do this series because i care about young adults and i i don't want silence from the church to be kind of you know kind of proof that the criticisms and the questions are are correct in nature so i'm doing this to bring dialogue and hopefully answers and compassion to this space where people are asking some very legitimate some very legitimate questions so there are causes of deconstruction why people you know kind of walk away some i've been deeply hurt In the church, I feel like God has let me down and disappointments have caused me to doubt him. My experience in college caused me to have doubts and questions about my faith in God. I've witnessed the hypocrisy of believers in the church and has caused me to question the authenticity of Christianity. So those are not all of the questions, but those are some of the questions that we're trying to kind of work through uh, in this series. So, some things to remember. If you're kind of that person where you, man, have some doubts about faith and questions about Faith, You know, there's just, just some things I want to commit to you and we want to commit to you as a church. Generations Church is a place where doubts and questions about faith are accepted and time to process the answers is allowed. If I try to force a conclusion upon you, it wouldn't, it wouldn't take. It wouldn't be organic, you know, from your heart. So I just want you to know you're allowed to ask questions and then we're going to give you time to process. We're not going to force you you're thinking on this, all right? Also, we welcome hard questions, the difficult questions, okay? Now, we may not always have quick answers, but we want you to know you can ask anything and think anything, and you're still welcome in the, uh, in the community of, of believers here or, or on our online audience as well. Jude 22 says for us to be merciful to those who doubt, and I want to promise you, We will. So if you're that person, you know, you're here in service, you're watching online, maybe you're watching a video or the podcast, maybe someone sent you a link and said, hey, I would like for you uh, to listen to this. I want to say to you this morning, thank you. Uh, for allowing me to speak into your life for a few moments. I will honor and respect your beliefs and questions and work, you know, work through them with honor. You know, so I, I want to hopefully start a dialogue. So if that's you, that's my heart this morning. Topics that we're gonna cover in this series. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, we talked about science versus faith and the origin of the universe and humanity. What really happened? So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, you need to listen to that, okay? Because we talked, you know, about... Big Bang, we talked about the creation, the belief in, in, in God's hand upon creation, we talked about, you know, some problems maybe with Big Bang, the numerical almost impossibility that it could happen, we talked about clues of, of his creation, and then at the very end of the service, I had four PhDs in math and science who came and shared their thinking on faith versus science, and I mean, I'm just telling you, it was the best part of the message, I just want to say that well you didn't have to say amen I was just that was my opinion you didn't have to thank you it's pastor appreciation month thanks a lot I appreciate that All right. so that was the first. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please go listen to that. We're going to talk about where did I come from? Why am I here? What is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Questions of worldview. If God is good, why is there so much suffering, hunger, violence in the world? Why are so many people hurt in the church by its leaders? We're going to cover also, I disagree with the church on beliefs of sexuality, gender, marriage, and family. So in any particular order, we're going to be dealing with those. This is not exhaustive by any means. I'm limited just really, you know, by by time, but I'm doing my best to kind of work through this the best I can. So today I want to talk about, is God real? Is the Bible real and dependable for today? did Jesus really live? All right. I want to kind of work through those questions because these are some of the common questions of those who are maybe skeptical to faith, have questions about faith. They're walking through deconstruction or they are considering faith, but they just have some very legitimate questions about the origin of this, of this entire, uh, this entire kind of, kind of topic. Maybe you, uh, as you, in your academic experience, maybe uh, heard some things that have caused doubts and questions about this topic, and I want to I address you and talk to you as well. Now, I told the church, I told you a couple weeks ago, this series is going to be different in content and structure, so I'm asking for some latitude this morning because I'm going to answer these questions, but if you've noticed, I haven't asked you to turn to your Bibles this morning because People that have questions about the existence of God and the dependability of Scripture trying to, uh, you know, make points from the Bible sometimes is, is uh, you know, not fruitful. So if you'll just allow me some latitude, I'm going to use the Scriptures at the end. I promise you that. So just allow me some, some latitude uh, here. So, uh, all right. Is God real? <clears throat> is God real? How do we know that he is real? I think it's a very... Fair question, okay? Uh, is our existence just a cosmic result of a material universe or is there more? Is there more to it? Now, <clears throat> I answered part of this two weeks ago when I talked about you know the origin and man clues about about God, and I want to I want to use some of the answer from two weeks ago to make my point here. But I've got a few other things that I am adding as well. So is is God real? I I think that He is, but I think this isn't just a blind faith. I think there are clues to His existence. If you'll if you'll allow me to give you some of those clues. And, and some of this I mentioned a couple weeks ago, but I think it, it, it's part of the answer here. I think there are clues. The complexity, beauty, and the intelligence of the universe. The creation of stars, galaxies, planets, all tied together in a cosmic dance swirling around, all held together by gravity. Some of what you're seeing on the screen is believed to have happened 400 million years after the Big Bang. But when you look at those, there is just a sense of beauty. There is a sense of wonder and kind of awe that that comes through that. So the the compute the complexity, which I don't have time for that. The beauty, the intelligence of the universe to me, you know, uh, just to me, there's just too much. Uh, complexity for chance. So I I think this could be a sign uh, of a divine creator, the intelligence, beauty, and complexity of the universe. But if you if you don't think that, then how would you explain that? So that's that's one one answer. Another clue that I think is God's real the fine tuning of the earth or intelligent design. Fine-tuning refers to the surprising precision of nature's physical constants and the early conditions of the universe. Something happened that made the earth different. Its placement from the sun, 92 million miles away, creates the perfect temperature in relation to the sun that, that makes life habitable here. The Earth spins around the Sun every 24 hours in perpetuity. Every four months it tilts on its axis 23.5 degrees. There is a unique makeup of the atmosphere of nitrogen and oxygen. There is a self-sustaining ecosystem that has been around a long time. Just for example, when rain happens, it evaporates back to the clouds. It gives us fresh water. And that has been in in perpetuity, so the the ecosystem is amazing. There is no other, you know, solar system or planet that is even close, you know, to to, uh, the constants that we have today. So the fine-tuning of the earth, to me... Could be a sign of a divine creator, but if you don't believe that, how would you explain this? Another, the miracle of the human body. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. Our eyes can distinguish up to one million colors. We have six hundred muscles in our in our body, and the brain is the conductor, so that we can walk, run, you know, do our thing. The hand is an engineering marvel, able to pick things up, move things. Your heart, you know, uh, your her body is made up of a hundred and trillion cells that all came from the division of one cell. Uh, in the creation of the, the human body, there is male and female to sustain the C species in perpetuity. And then there's the unique miracles of things like DNA and the fingerprint that are so fine tuned to the individual. So I believe the human body could be a sign of a divine creator, different than any other mammal on the earth. But if you don't believe that, what would be your answer? How would you explain this? Something else, human consciousness revealed through intelligence and moral reasoning, nothing like this, on the earth, all right. So, in humanity, we have elevated our language, our society, uh, our our education, and our and our intelligence is not just an innate, uh, functional utilitarian intelligence, but it's also the comprehension of beauty, meaning purpose forgiveness love family marriage you know so that's intelligence and then there's moral reasoning there's this innate sense in the heart of people right and wrong you know we know that it's wrong to murder someone they have an intrinsic value because they are created in the image of god so morality and a sense of justice are are placed into the hearts of people so human consciousness it's it's uh uh intelligence and moral reasoning to me it is another clue of a divine creator but if you don't believe that how would you explain uh, human consciousness something else primitive civilizations show belief in some form of deity PBS it's news hour just a couple of months ago did did a a video segment called and an article called which came first society or fear of God so in their research as they are looking, you know answering the question society or fear of God, they, they have another angle in this article, but the but the uh, you know like what came first, the society or the fear of God and it just proved that very early, very early people had this belief in God, you know just you know so early, Anthropological evidence shows a belief in God, some type of religious expression, and almost constantly a belief in the afterlife. These are early primitive civilizations that did not have access to religious teachings or or missionaries. So in the heart of people very early on, there was this belief in some kind of deity. So I I would say I believe... This is, could be a sign, another sign of a divine creator. But if you don't believe that, how would you explain this? I want to give you something else, another clue to the existence of God. How about the existence of Israel? We believe God, if you, if you read the Bible, God made a covenant with the Jewish people and gave them the land of Canaan and Palestine. So we, we, we believe this is a, a different different type of country, Okay. Uh, with a, with, with a, a religious hand on it, a, sp- a spiritual hand. Israel is the only nation on the earth that inhabits the same land, bears the same name, speaks the same language, and worships the same God that it did 3,000 years ago. Israel is the only nation in the history of the world to regain its identity and borders after being moved out of its homeland 3,000 years ago. Okay? So if these things are true, it shows, like, why is this country still... Around it's you know, I believe it shows their existence is due to the promise and the covenant that God made, and even this tiny little country is still woven intricately in world events and biblical prophecies. prophecies this little country, and I want to add one other thing anti Semitism. How do you explain that? The Jews, Jewish people, have experienced a generational hate unlike any ethnicity on the face of the earth. Now, I think it's Satan's response to the covenant that God made with them a long time ago. So it's not surprising in world history, especially in World War II, that one of the most evil men, you know, who, who ever lived did everything in his power to exterminate the Jewish people. Not just the conquest of lands, which normally occurs in war, but it exterminate, you know, an entire people, genocide. So we've never seen a race of people hated like this. So I just want to say... I believe that the existence of Israel over the long term, its ups and downs, could be a sign of a divine creator. But if not, how would you explain this? I want to give you something else. Is God real? I I think here's some more clues. The personal spiritual experiences of millions of people this needs to be looked at all right i know some people think you know when they look at the church and the church world today that this is the you know the mindless thinking of generational robots and everybody's crazy okay now let me just say there are some crazy people here let me just say that okay all right but to just dismiss the personal spiritual experience says some some mind you know some generational robots then you are missing an important clue you need to take a moment and sit down with someone and hear their life transformation story. We have a building full of people here who've experienced the transforming power of God. And outside of me, they would testify that they were lost, but now they're found. They would testify that God has changed and transformed their life. In this building, we have addicts that have been set free, people who've been in jail, people who've experienced Brokenness, but through the power of Jesus, they've gotten a second chance and they've seen their spiritual life and many times their physical life restored. So, I want to say don't underestimate the power of of spiritual experiences of millions of people. It's it's easy to go, well, they're just, you know, they're just kind of, you know, like robots. But I would say if you're curious about this, sit down. And here's some of the stories that people have gone through, all right? So I believe the personal spiritual experiences could be a sign of a divine creator. But if you don't, how do you, how do you explain that? Last one. Miracles, miracles. Science says life is governed by immutable laws of mathematics and physics. They are absolute, there is no exception to it, like the law of gravity, okay? So, if we can prove one verifiable miracle of supernatural origin, then that would blow up the framework that science and faith have the answer to everything. Some miracles. Miracles. Watch this video. Lord, praise this morning. Give the Lord praise. Linda? Amen. Linda? Um, you and Danny were in a terrible automobile accident. Listen, you're, you guys are terrible drivers out here. God's Sorry having that. to heal people to clean up your driving. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> The, uh, I mean, it was a terrible accident back in November, and man, all kinds of things, but especially in your, your shoulder. Kind of what were you going through? What was your life like with your issue with your shoulder?
1: Well, I had a terrible pain 24 7, running all down my arm. Uh, little to no sleep, kind of really, you know, when you kind of just fall out and you just have to sleep or not make it. <laughs> but uh, terrible pain and had three MRIs, and one specifically on the shoulder, showing I had a uh, tear in the rotator cuff. So the doctor decided that maybe we should just go ahead and do surgery. Well, the first time he told me that, I literally walked out of his office. That's how bad I didn't want surgery. (laughs) I had to apologize for that profusely, but yeah. So that's where we are.
0: So you're in service on April the 10th. You came down. We were doing prayer for those that needed a healing or a a miracle. And what, what happened to you in that moment?
1: Well, I had two people praying for me that morning. And I felt the healing power of Jesus go through my arm, shoulder, whatever. And not that I could still pick up my arm, but it definitely was... A healing power and I told pastor that afternoon in our small group yeah. <laughs> that I felt the healing power so I went to the doctor uh, excuse me I went into surgery Tuesday after that morning
0: and what they find
1: <laughs> well I did not have a tear in my rotator cuff <laughs> and that is only praise to Jesus But so he shaved off my collarbone and he uh, cleaned everything out. And I have not had not one pain from all that horrible pain that I had before. Now, I have a little bit of pain from surgery, but I'm doing fantastic. Praise the name of Jesus. (laughs) Give
0: the Lord praise. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. Come on, give him praise this morning. Amen. We were at the circus that afternoon. She said, I still feel a heat in my shoulder, all right? So I didn't pull the testimony from YouTube. I pulled the testimony of someone that's sitting here in this morning in our service that just felt God's healing power of miracles. And you can go by her, punch her in the arm this morning just to check it out. <laughs> now, she may punch you back. I said she's healed. She's not sanctified yet, so, uh, you know, but i'm just telling you so to me miracles the miracles that people and there are people in this building that have miracles in various forms but but if you're going all life is just science and mathematics then one miracle one miracle of supernatural origin you know uh will you know just you know, kind of, kind of refute that. So I just want to say, ending this first section, how do you explain all of that? All those things, seven or eight things that I mentioned... How do you explain outside of the, the clues that there that God exists? And I'm just saying, would you be open to this consideration of just thinking, hey, there may be something else out there than than just my you know my my mind, the framework of my mind, you know, has ever considered. I'm just saying, if you'll give the opportunity, there may be divine fingerprints out there, you know, for you to maybe to take a look at. And I want to say too. The question about the existence of God is very important because it's foundational to your worldview. If you don't believe in God, then issues of origin, where did we come from, meaning, you know, for my life, morality, what's right and wrong, uh, destiny, what happens when we die, is different. Those answers are different than if you believe. You know, in origin, I'm, I'm a created being of God. Meaning, God has created me, so I have value and purpose. Morality: there are absolutes and right and wrongs in this life. Destiny: where will I live? You know, uh, what happens when I die? That, so, to me, this question is of fundamental importance to your to your worldview. All right, I want to go to the next the next question: Is the Bible real? and dependable for today? Is the Bible real and dependable for today? So I'm not offended with this question. I'm glad you know that it's surfaced in multiple forms and I think there are answers to this. Is the Bible real and dependable for today? Richard Dawkins says, to be fair, much of the Bible is not systematically evil but just plain weird as you would expect of a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents composed, revised, translated, distorted and improved by hundreds of anonymous authors, editors and copyists unknown to us and mostly unknown to each other spanning nine centuries. So I want to, you know, like, is it inspired or or, or not? Is it kind of what Dawkins said? But, but if it's not inspired, then where did it come from? I mean, if this is the product of man, they did a pretty good job on this. There's no divine fingerprint. So I, you know, uh, so I just want to ask. I just want to I just want to ask that. So if it's not inspired, where did it come from? What is its origin if it's not divine? It's still, it's still an amazing book. Where was the secret meeting thousands of years ago that said, hey, i got an idea. Why don't we create a religious book? Let's, let's you know, what's the driving force behind this book that we hold in our hand? Who was the mastermind that said, let's, let's do this. Who were the script writers and the content editors? How did these men determine who would perpetuate this myth generationally? You know, they start with Genesis, Exodus, and they work this whole story, you know, so how did this You know, how did this happen? The Bible, 66 books, 40 different authors over 1,600 years. I mean, wow, the strategic thinking and the long-term planning, if this is not divine, is absolutely unbelievable. If it's a hoax, it's the fraudulent product of a conspiracy, then it's been brilliant in its execution, and you and I sit here today as fools being deceived by the thoughts and writings of men thousands of years ago. I mean, they did a good job, didn't they? I mean, you got to applaud the mastermind and the cast of thousands from, for hundreds of years who pulled off the world's greatest fraud and they all kept it secret until they died, okay? So if it's not of divine origin, how, how did it get here? I mean, somebody did a great job with this book, I'm just gonna say. But let me give you our our thought. We believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, and each author was divinely inspired by God to write out the stories, songs, prophecies, and teachings of Scripture. The Bible, as I mentioned, 66 books written over 1,500 years, 40 different authors written in a time of changing language, customs, government, and culture, all at work. Today, it is the world's most published book. Portions of it have been uh, translated in 2,200 different languages. It is the world's most downloaded book just on the Bible app alone. 330 million downloads in over 80 different languages. Okay? But I want to remind you of something too. The main purpose, the main theme of the Bible is to reveal God's love to his creation, his redemption plan for humanity through his son, Jesus. That's the main purpose that it exists. People have all kinds of other critiques of the Bible and what it says, and they ignore the main theme. So how did we get the Bible? How did we get this wonderful book? So it starts with the original eyewitnesses the personal accounts of people who had encounters with God people who witnessed God's presence they they saw they had a they had a miracle they experienced a miracle so people like Moses and David and Peter and Paul They had these experiences with God and why would they, you know, like what was their reason for that? You know, like to to tell people about this. You know, they had very little gain to gain, nothing to lose, you know, a lot lot to lose. There was no royalties coming in, no NIL deal that was available. You know, so they did not do these things to enrich themselves. Most died very poor. So these are just... People, ordinary people that had unbelievable encounters with God. Now, when when the Bible tells their stories, they're not always shown in the best light either. You know, when they told their story, they told the whole story, good and bad. So if I'm Moses, you're going to hear about the burning bush in the Red Sea. You are not going to hear that I hit a rock and didn't get in Canaan. All right? If I'm David, You will hear about Goliath, but you will not know about Bathsheba. That wouldn't make it, all right? If I'm Peter, you're going to know that I walked on the water, but you're not going to know that I sank, and I surely you're not going to know that I denied the Lord. So these eyewitnesses came forward. They had personal experiences. They told their stories about what happened to them, good and bad. Next part, oral storytelling. This is part of kind of ancient Old Testament you know, kind of ancient history. But before the development of written language, people just started telling their stories. They would just, there was oral storytelling and it would be passed, you know, it would be passed down. They started telling their stories to others and families and that was just part of the transmission process. So people would have these experiences and they would tell others and others, you know, would hear and and tell the stories. So eyewitnesses, oral storytelling, written history. So the eyewitnesses, the third part, eyewitnesses started to write down and journal their thoughts and experiences, okay? Kind of started to keep a diary and a journal. Now please know when they're writing these books, they have no concept at that moment that this is going to be used in a master book. That it's going to be a compilation of books that will be passed around for generations. They had no idea. They're just writing their particular stories. The writings at that particular time are either on papyrus, which is paper. And I have, a, and I have an image that I want to show you up there. So it's a very thick kind of paper that with ink they would kind of etch in so there was papyrus and or there was parchment another image and that's more of leather it was very very thick so they would take these pins and it wouldn't roll on like a ballpoint pen the day it was etched down with ink so they started writing oral history and what developed over time was a system of copyists and scribes copying documents so let's just say You know, the paper and the leather, it only would last 15 years due to humidity and, you know, they don't have homes like we did. So what developed over time was a system of copyists or scribes copying documents if you wanted to save something that you needed to you needed to copy so there are no original writings of the old testament the gospels or the new testament in existence today there's no originals all that we have is copies of copies from a long time ago now People say, and we saw it through Richard Dawkins, it's been improved, there are errors, and I want to say to you, I want to acknowledge, the term is textual variation. They have looked at some of these and they have seen errors in the writing. It would be like if I gave you the Bible and a pen and a pad and said, I want you to write it the best you can, word for word, Genesis to Revelation. With your best intention, probably when we looked back, you would miss something, you know, misspell a word or something like that. So admittedly, they are textual variations to the copies, but they are very minor. Most of it's punctuation or spelling or somebody scratched out a word or they used kind of a kind of another word. So there is an answer when people go. It was improved. There are errors. There are, there are answers to that. The numbers of copies... Of a document gives strength to its accuracy. So if you've got people copying and copying, the more copies that you have can actually show strength back to the original, you know back, back to the original let me, let me give you an illustration. The number of Greek New Testament copies in existence are 5,600. 5,600 copies of the, the New Testament in Greek. Okay, so it's 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 very hard when you have that number of copies to have some kind of error work its way through to the Bible because you have all of these all of these other copies. The, the earliest that we have. Uh, the earliest copy that we have is from about 150 years. We've got an image. It's from the Ryland Library in Manchester, England. That's the earliest, about 150 years after Jesus, or excuse me, uh, really probably 120 years after Jesus died. But that is the Gospel of John chapter 8. It's part of it. So it was copies after copies after copies. Now, let, let me... So the, so the number of copies lends itself to the strength of accuracy. So let me prove my point. Um, those of you, you know, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, here's the version in the King James Version, Matthew 6, 13. It says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Okay? That's the old King James in 1600. But they started looking in some very early manuscripts past that. They didn't see... They didn't see the last sentence. So if you look in the NIV today, Matthew 6, 13, here's what you see. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So listen to me. The weight of the copies, they were going, you know what? There was a copyist one day who was really getting into the moment. He's just writing, lead us not into temptation. He feels revival. Deliver us from evil, And he just puts, he just starts a worship song. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. He just felt it. But they went, you know what? The weight of what we see, it's not there. So they corrected it. So to me, I want to make a statement to you. To me, that shows very great caution that they are trying to, you know, establish the original intent of the writer, you know as much as they can now i know that they ruined a really good song the lord's prayer you know the very last line for thine is the kingdom and the power you just go ahead and sing it you know but when i make reference to this i don't i don't use that particular that particular sentence but to me it speaks to the reliability dependability you know of of the scriptures cuz is it you know with all of this kind of handed down, no computers? Do we feel like it's accurate? And I'm just going, there was a point where they were going, you know what? In this sentence, we don't feel the weight of that is there. And they made that correction. So people go yeah, it's the eyewitnesses, you know, the oral tradition, the oral storytelling. I got a problem with that. It's all the copies and copies and copies. You know, that's what makes me nervous and uncertain about this whole thing that we call the Bible. Okay. So I want to give you some things to consider about that. All right. First of all, There is no contemporary critique that dismisses eyewitness testimony, oral storytelling, or the original writings of the Bible. When these things are written, there are other people alive as well at the same time. They, They lived in the presence of people who knew the actual story, so it would have been very difficult to perpetuate a lie when you've got other people who were witnessing or or if it's a fabrication, you know, they would be able to call that out. So David and Goliath, there were people all around. Either it happened or it didn't. Uh, The Red Sea, there are all kinds of people, millions of people that either this thing happened to or it didn't. Thousands of people who were supposedly there during the miracle of the fishes and loaves. So if it didn't happen when this writing came out, not long after that, there was, there's no contemporary critique that dismiss eyewitness testimony, oral storytelling, or the original writings of the Bible. Nobody that lived in that moment went, hey, that's wrong. That did not happen. Okay. Keep that in mind. Something else to consider. If the critics of the Bible dismiss the writings of the Bible and the New Testament as unreliable information, then they must also dismiss the reliability of the writings of ancient history and well known writers such as Plato, Aristotle, and Homer. Okay? So, if you, well, it's the same system. Ancient history, the development of ancient history is the same system of the development of the Bible. There were original eyewitnesses. There was oral storytelling. They started writing it down and, and, and recording copy after copy after copy. So I wanna say to you that it's the same system. What, what uh, the, the development of the Bible is the same as the development of, of ancient history. Everything we know about ancient history came from this. If you believe ancient world history and you have confidence in that system, then you, you have to have you know belief and, and confidence in the system of the Bible as well. It would be to me inconsistent to go, I believe, how we learned about the Egyptian pyramids, but I don't have confidence in the Bible because it's the same transmission, you know, uh, a plan all the way down. Or someone would go, hey, I, you know, like, I have no confidence in the Bible, but I believe ancient history. So you gotta, to me, you gotta pick one. You You gotta either believe it all, ancient history, and the Bible, or you go into your history class tomorrow and you raise your hand and go, hey, that thing about the pyramids, I certainly don't believe it. Copies after copies after copies. I certainly don't believe it. I mentioned to you the Greek New Testament has 5,600 copies, okay? All right? The copies of Plato's writings that we have are seven. 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 The copies of Aristotle's writings are five. But there is no question, there's no question on a college campus about the writings of Plato and Aristotle. They are confident, they use them, they quote them all the time with very little, you know, very little, you know, evidence, you know, uh, uh, of of copies. But yet 5,600 copies of the New Testament and they doubt that it's of, of divine origin, or they, or, they, or they doubt that, you know, how, how it came to being. So I'm just saying, you got to choose one if you're going to be consistent. If you're going to believe in ancient history, believe in world history, and the transmission system that we got that information, then you got to believe the same about God's Word. All right? All right. I think the Bible is held to a higher standard. They let everything else pass. There's always questions and critiques about the Bible, even though the process for both are the same. I wanna give you something else, things to consider. Most biblical stories can be historically verified. Every time a writer used a name or an event outside of themselves, they took a risk on something being discovered. So when you see things like census being taken they can be historically verified. Wars, the, the Herods that lived, the different Herods you know, that, that were in the, the New Testament, the Roman occupation, kings, kingdoms, and cities. When they use those, they're taking a risk because they are interweaving the Bible, the biblical narrative with verifiable, verifiable historical events. So they take a, take a huge risk there, especially naming people like Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Mary Magdalene, Caiaphas, Pilate. You take a, you take a risk if you're telling stories and you're using people's Name. I, I told you people would go, that didn't exist. That isn't the way that story happened. Nicodemus, well, I never went to Jesus at night, but they are tying together these, these verifiable things. So let me let me let me give you an example. Mark 1521, when they tell the story of Jesus, they make reference to a man that helped carry the cross. All right. Now, they just didn't say there was a man that helped Jesus carry the cross. Mark took a huge risk here because he named him. And he named his origin of country. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country and they forced him to carry the cross. So the gospel writer here took a huge risk identifying a man named Simon and his sons. So in this story... When it came out, it would have been very, you know, easily verifiable. If it didn't happen, people would go, that didn't, that didn't happen in that story. That didn't, that didn't happen, you know. Who, or or they go to people like Simon and Alexander and Rufus and go, hey, did that happen? because he named he named them, so there's it's verifiable it's historically verifiable, so it's true if it's true, then it adds a powerful element to the story so the the writers took risk when they used names outside of the Bible. I want to give you something else to consider Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ. There are things that are mentioned in the Old Testament hundreds of years before that came about in the time of Jesus. And I just want to mention a few of them. But I'm, you know, here's some things to consider about is is this a divine book. Questions like... The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be born of a virgin. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem triumphantly. The Messiah will be rejected by his own people. Uh, The Messiah will be mocked and uh, taunted. The Messiah will die by crucifixion, pierced with his hands and feet. The Messiah will suffer with a sinner. The Messiah will be buried in a rich man's tomb. The Messiah will be raised from the dead. Okay? So I just want to go back. If this is not divine... Somebody did a good job, okay? But I want to say to you, if if you've got some kind of doubt, these prophecies were spoken probably 1,600 years before they they happened, okay? And, And they were all fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Something else. The consistent doctrinal narrative harmony throughout the Old and New Testament. Now, listen to this. The consistent, to me, this is another miracle of the Bible, the consistent, consistent doctrinal, harm, uh, doctrinal and narrative harmony throughout the Old and New Testament. So you had this Old Testament sacrificial system. If you'll remember that, lambs were sacrificed. Their blood was shed for forgiveness. And it came about like on Passover. It was the big time Passover when everyone, they would take that lamb and they would sacrifice the lamb. And his blood would, would forgive, you know, the, the entire nation. That's Old Testament, okay? Old Testament. But, it, but there's an unusual, miraculous weaving together with the New Testament. When Jesus appears, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Boom. There's a, there's a connection, a miraculous connection. And then Jesus' death on the cross occurred on the day of Passover. You know, I mean, that, there's an unusual connection. How did that, you know, how did that happen? You know, it's a, it's, it's a doctrinal and narrative harmony from Old Testament to New Testament. And, and the last thing on, this, on things to consider about this, the death of the apostles. The death of the apostles. Would they die for a lie? Now, people live for a lie. But if you know something's fraudulent, are you going to die an excruciating death for that? If you know it's a lie, hey, we've made a little money. We've got some notoriety. But you know, getting my head cut off for that, no way. All the apostles died a martyr's death. Why would they do that if, they, if there was not something deep in their heart, you know, that of, of, of having this experience with God? Well, the Bible is old and it's written by men. I hear that all the time, okay? It's old and it's written by men. Well, old in actuality means their staying power over a period of time. But there was something that happened in the year 300 after Jesus where people were reading this book and it was giving life to them in 500 years and 800 years and in the year 1200 people are reading that and there's something that's giving life to it. In the year 1500 people are reading that and it's giving life and changing lives in 1600 and the year 1800 and the year 2000 it's the most downloaded book. So when people say it's old in actuality that's not a criticism that's a compliment to it that it's got staying power over the generations. It's written by men. <laughs> Who's it supposed to be written by? What's the, what answer are you looking for here? Tablets floating down from heaven. You know, I want to tell you, I think God took all of his resources to put the plan of his redemption in a book that you can read. And I want to tell you something today. I, I think with great certainty, with great certainty, you can look at this book and go, you know what? This is God's plan, his message for humanity in 2022. That's my belief this morning. That's my belief. Last question. I'm going to do it very quick. Did Jesus really live? Did Jesus really live? Is there extra biblical evidence... That Jesus exists. Now, because when people ask that question, like for me to take the Gospels, if they don't have a confidence in the Gospels, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting a, a, a battle you'll never win. But I just want to tell you, there are evidences outside of the Bible that there was a man named Jesus that lived. I'm only going to show you three. I'm going to do it really quick. There are many, many more than this, but I'm going to show you three of the strongest ones that show in history that Jesus lived. So the first one, his name is Tacitus. He is a Roman historian. Okay. So he's Roman and he's writing Roman history and he's telling the story of, of Emperor Nero. He gets to that part in the book and, and Emperor Nero had started a fire for political reasons and he blamed it on people of faith. Okay. So Tacitus is talking. This is he's re, he's he's writing about Emperor Nero, but he's telling about this time and about this fire. So I want to I want to read this to you, and I want you to look at all of the different details about this. So here's what he says: Neither human effort, nor the emperor's generosity, nor the placating of gods ended the scandalous belief that the fire had been ordered by Nero. Therefore, to put down the rumor, Nero substituted his culprits and punishment in the most unusual way. Those hated for shameful acts, uh, whom the crowd called Christians, the founder of his name, Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. Okay, about a hundred years after Jesus lived, this story finds itself in Roman history, okay? Did you see some of the detail, okay? All right, I want to give you something else. Josephus Flavius, about 93 years, he's a Jewish historian. He's just writing he's just writing history, okay? About 93 years, 60 something 60, 60 something after Jesus died. Here's what Josephus Flavius says, but I want you to look not just at the mention of his name, I want you to look at the details that are encapsulated in history. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if one ought to call him a man, for he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks, and he was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified, those... uh, Those who he had in the first place to come to love him did not cease. On the third day, he appeared to them restored to life. For the prophets of God had prophesied these and myriads of other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians so called after him still up to now has not disappeared. Okay. Very strong testimony there. Now listen. Josephus Flavius is not just here. He's a a Roman historian that people use, I mean, excuse me, a Jewish historian that people use all the time to research life back then. But a very strong statement, just matter of fact. He's just giving details, not giving opinions there. The last one, Brent, the worship team can come. The Babylonian Talmud, commentary on Jewish laws written between 500 and 600 years after Jesus' death. Okay, so there's some time, you know, elapsed between Jesus' death and, and this. It's, it's more agon- antagonistic in tone, but it still verifies some things that we know. Jesus was hanged on Passover Eve. Forty days previously, the herald cried. He's being led out for stoning because he practiced sorcery and he led Israel astray and enticed them into apostasy. Whoever has anything to say in his defense, let him come and declare it. As nothing was brought forward in his defense, he was hanged on Passover Eve. Okay? Just written in the history books. No opinion? Just here's what happened. Okay? The writer, C.S. Lewis, said this about the life of Jesus. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Okay? Would he die for his lie as well? Why did he do it? For money? He said, the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Power? We want to make you king. Let's start the kingdom now. My kingdom's not of this world. Prophet. What did it bring him? It brought him hatred, persecution, misunderstanding, torture and death. If he was a liar, then all of his teachings are tainted. You know, he taught about you know, remembering the poor, keeping money in its proper place, love your neighbor, forgive your enemies. But if he's a liar, then all of it's tainted. There's nothing good. You can't just pull out certain things about his teaching, but you go, he's a liar. If the disciples invented him, they invented the world's most interesting fictional character. But very few people believe that because there is literal historical verification that the man named Jesus lived and that his death in the history that I just gave you is very close to the biblical narrative. Okay? So the question that was asked, can you prove that Jesus lived? There was a man named Jesus that lived. And I go, yes, yes. Now listen to me. I believe if you take all the things that I talked about today, the clues of God, is he real? If you listen close about the Bible, is it dependable what we hold today? Can we trust it Did Jesus? Live, I believe if you take all of those things that I mentioned this morning, I really, really think it points to a great probability of the existence of God and his son, Jesus. Okay? Why am I here? Am I a mere product of chance, physics, and biology? Is my life just part of a random chaotic order? And I say, no. No, I think you have been created by God. I think you are a miracle, very unique to the hand of God. I think that you have a purpose and a divine plan that God has created for your life, but not just an existence of jobs and family, but I think there's a deeper existence he wants fellowship with you it's kind of like a parent and a child the parent just doesn't birth a child and move on that parent births that child loves that child and wants to wants to be close to that child so i want to say to you if you come from a a a mindset of of doubt skepticism maybe you've totally deconstructed and you've walked away from faith can I just can I just ask you to think just just one thing alright can I just nudge you just a little bit to a thought of maybe being open that this all could be true just instead of just closing it off just going you know what I'm going to allow space in my mind and heart that that these things could be true. Would you be open to the possibility of a divine creator and a savior who wants to be involved in your life? All I'm asking respectfully is you just be open to that possibility. And I want to say, don't be afraid of where this takes you. If you're open prayerfully open to this moment, you may be surprised that you may see the hand of the Lord and that God starts speaking and revealing himself in ways that you never planned, never thought of. All right, so I just say, can I just nudge you to just being open to that possibility and you never know what will happen in your life. Just closing. I told you, I can't preach a whole sermon without the Bible. Come on, give me a moment. My congregation's getting nervous out there. There's probably a petition going on. So I I did all of that, you know, because I care about people that have questions. But ultimately, I want you to know who he is, you know. I'm one of those that had that personal encounter. I'm not up here preaching something because I, have to. It was the family business. I had an encounter with the Lord when I was in junior and high school. and I'm just telling you, I've never been the same. I spent my life wanting other people to know about the wonderful grace of God. And I want you to know who he is. I'm going to put a verse up here. And it's very, very simple. And you may know or be familiar with it. It tells you a lot about God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's a lot in that few, in that few words, that God loves his creation. He gave up the thing that was most important to him on behalf of all creation, because the love he had for his son and the love that he had for his creation, man, he swapped one for another. And that shows great value of his creation. And that everyone that believes in him, man, we're going to live forever with him. There's going to be eternal life. He also said the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost, you know. He was very aggressive. He came to earth, wanted to find you wherever you're at. He's seeking whatever your darkness, brokenness, whatever. He's coming to find you. He's got a message for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for restoration for your, for your life. All right? So are you a mere chance of physics and biology? I say no. No. I think you're a wonderful creation in God. And I think... If you'll give him a little space and a little latitude, I just think God will reveal himself to you. Maybe, maybe in a surprising way. So I said at the beginning, if you come from being a doubter and a skeptic and deconstructed, I want to say thank you for listening to me. Okay. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak on these things, but I just want to pray. I want to pray. And if, if you're kind of a doubter, skeptic, if you'll just allow me this prayer to just say, Lord, and, and maybe you just say, Lord, if you're there, just show me. Would you pray that prayer? Would you move just a little bit in your thinking and just go, all right, I'll be open. God, if you're there, show me. Okay, so Lord, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you, that you love your creation. I think Lord, even today, there are wonderful people that have doubts and questions. And Lord, you are bigger than doubts and questions. You're not offended with them or you angry with them. But Lord, I pray for those today that walk through a season of skepticism. Maybe there's things that have happened in their life and they, have, they, don't, they don't know what's going on. It's made them question you. I just pray today as they open their heart just a little bit. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, I just give you thanks. Lord, as the pastor, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. If it's on a a video, a podcast, Lord, I pray that people would sense the presence of God, something unusual, some life, some energy, whatever term they want to use coming from this moment. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.